Hope you know. I've uh, been here a few times now the last few months, six months or so. I've been here a couple times. And I just hope you know a couple things. One is how much I love your church, what you're doing in this community, the folks that you're trying to reach. Um, listen, this is, this is Kernsville's difficult soil because there are a lot of really good people here that are lost. They think that their goodness is good enough, but it's not. And so there's a lot of people in this area that would just look on a day like this and go, I don't need to go to church. I'm good enough. I don't need the gospel. I've been good. If somebody was to come and need something, I'd give them the shirt off my back. They're good people. They're not gospel people. And for you and for me, that's a difficult place to be. It's much easier to do ministry in a place where people know their need. And here, a lot of folks don't know their need. But I also hope you know that I love and pray for this church, but I love and I pray for your pastor. And I hope you're doing the same for him and for his family, covering him in prayer. Um, they do so much for you, and, uh, and he's just a blessing and encouragement to me. And so we're going to continue to work through Colossians. You know me a little bit, and so let's just plow through and go into Colossians because this is such a rich letter. If you don't know already, go ahead and turn or swipe to Colossians chapter 1. Adam last week so set up uh, the rest of this letter. So if you, I know you remember everything that he said last week because everybody remembers every word that the preacher says from Sunday to Sunday, uh, unless you maybe weren't here last Sunday. Um, but you know that this letter is talking about how Paul's life has been so radically changed by the gospel. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your life has so radically been changed by the good news of Jesus. Now, how do we live that out? There are a lot of people that would want to focus on how uh, some try to find some inconsistencies in the Bible. This morning, I want us to think about all the things that are consistent. You know that Paul's letters to the, all of these churches, there's a consistent pattern and theme. And one of the verses we're going to look at this morning, three times it shows up in his letters to the other churches. He, he writes these letters. He does his little greeting. He says, I'm Paul. This is who I am. This is who's with me. All of us greet you in the name of Jesus, grace, mercy, and peace, something to that effect to you, and then how much he loves them, and then he gives them a dose of theology. Sometimes it's a reminder, sometimes it's a correction, <laughs> you got to fix these things, and then the last part of the letter is, okay, how, here's how this plays out in your daily life, but three times in these different letters, he says the same thing, and so Colossians 1.10, we're going to see this today, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We're going to see that in just a moment. But then 1 Thessalonians 2, for you know how like father to his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk worthy in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. I think Paul is concerned that the church act like the church. Not just talk like the church, but act like the church. Who was Jesus' harshest criticism for when he was on earth? Religious people who said one thing and did something else. And so Paul is reminding, reiterating, diving deep into, let your walk match your talk. And your talk ought to come out of what you know 
of the scriptures. And so we're going to see more and more of that in just a moment. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I right now want to thank you again for Citizens Church. Or there are plenty of other churches around that folks could be a part of. And there's other churches where folks can just go and attend and sit and be a bystander. Or even just a consumer. But I thank you that this church is a body. Knit together, working together, serving together. Father, just fellowshipping and sharing life together. So I pray in the next few moments that you would take what we already know to the deepest level that we possibly can. Because, Father, right now we live in a day and an age, and this has always been true, but we're so keenly aware of it right now. Father, we live in a time where we need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and, Father, live it out deeply. And so help us to start today with how we just communicate with you. Help us today to go deeper in our relationship with you and how we talk to you and communicate with you and how we pray. That we'd follow Paul's example and how he prays for this church. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. I, I, I want to reiterate something that Adam said last week. It's so powerful um, that it's just one of those things that is, the more you can hear it, the more you can understand it, the deeper it can go into your life. He just said it a moment ago. Jesus plus nothing equals... Wow. Okay. See, I said that they would remember what you said, and they didn't remember what you said 10 minutes ago. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But here's what the enemy in this world would love to nothing more to do, and that is this. Add anything else in that blank. Jesus plus me. I still remember those bumper stickers. God is my co-pilot. If God's your co-pilot, you're on the wrong seat. Switch seats. That's not how it works. Um, there's another bumper sticker that I saw a long time ago. It said, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Again, take the middle sentence out. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. God said it. That settles it. You can choose to believe it or not, but that settles it when God says it. And so we want to take everything else that the world wants to put in that blank, and we want to replace it with who God is, and we want to grow deeper in that knowledge. And so today, we're just going to talk about prayer, and we're going to do five verses, but it's literally two sentences. This is one of those typical Paul things where you and I would put a period, he puts a comma. And can I just remind you of that sometimes in our own lives? Sometimes we think we're at the end of something and God says, no, no, no. There's a comma there. There's an and. I've got something else for you. Sometimes there's a comma and there's a but. You think your situation is this, but... I've got this for you. Sometimes there's a comma with a therefore. I put you through this, therefore. You're ready to help somebody else walk through it. And so sometimes we put a period where God puts a comma. And can I just tell you that I really, in my, in my own life, I struggle sometimes. I've got so many preferences. Does anybody else have any preferences? Some of you prefer not to raise your hand. And there's so many places where I wish that God would just put a period and he just stopped. See, but here's what I have to remember. Paul's writing this letter from prison. And the reminder for us is that prisons come in all different shapes, all different sizes, and all different types. Some of you come in today and you have never in your life felt more trapped than you are right now. 
Maybe you're trapped by something in your past, something that was done to you, something that you did. Maybe you're trapped by something that somebody said to you or called you or, or accused you of. A lot of times we're trapped by our own sin. There's something that we just feel at the moment powerless to shake. Can we just be reminded this morning, and maybe for some of you it might be the first time you're hearing it, Jesus is in the setting free business. He's the ultimate chain breaker. He's the ultimate get out of jail card. And for you and me in our own lives, maybe you feel trapped in a relationship or a job. Maybe you just feel trapped spiritually. There's just there's something coming against you right now, and you just you're like, Lord, I don't even know what this is, but I just I just feel this oppression on me. This morning, what I want us to start considering is taking our prayers and going even deeper. Going as deep as we possibly can. Because here's what Paul does. He says to this church in Colossae, I'm in prison. I can't go to you right now. I'm going to send you this letter. It's going to be a tremendous encouragement to you. And, and really, it's going to have some of the richest theology possible. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But, but out of this time when I'm in chains, I'm going to set you free to let the gospel run in your city like never before. And here's, here's what you and I have to remember. This church did such a great job holding on to this letter that we have it today. Let's, let's not ever take that for granted. That, that there were people willing to sacrifice their lives literally so that you and I could have a copy of God's word today to read exactly what Paul wrote this letter and to pattern our lives after what pa Paul says. And here's what he does. He says, listen, I love you. I care about you. And now here's what I pray for you. So let's go. Colossians, all of that to get to Colossians chapter 1. Now, I'm sorry, all of that to say this. I want us to go deeper in our prayer lives. I want us to spend deep time in prayer. But uh, I also know that there are times when we need just those quick prayers. A long time ago, somebody called them foxhole prayers. Uh, when you are in the foxhole, shells are raining down everywhere, and you are just, it's just a sin. Now, when I was a kid growing up, one of my brother's favorite prayers right before we ate was, yay God, boo devil, amen. That was it. I think he was probably just hungry. I don't know. But it's just, yay God, boo devil, amen. Now, there, is, there are times where we need to pray prayers just like that. It's just simple, quick, uh, Lord, I don't know what, this situation's come up. I don't know what to do. Help me. That's it. That's all I got time for. That's all I can do. But folks, here's what I believe has happened in the church. We've become accustomed to, used to, and comfortable with those kind of prayers. We spend way more time with that kind of prayer than we do with the kind of prayer I'm going to talk to us about today that I think Paul patterns for us, where we go so deep, where our prayer time doesn't even seem like time. Have you ever spent time with your family and you look at the watch and you go, or the clock on your phone and you go, Man, how in the world did it get to be this time already? Man, how in the world did that time pass so fast? When's the last time that happened with you and the Lord? Where you just went, oh, man, I'm late for work. My prayer time went over. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I, I didn't even realize that I, was, that I actually stayed awake while I was praying. And my prayer time, boy, I just, the time, I didn't even notice that there was time passing because what I was talking with the Lord about was so deep. It was such a good conversation with God. I didn't even notice. 
For a lot of folks, the last time that happened for you, you were on a date. And all of a sudden, you went, uh-oh, I told you, Dad, I'd be, we'd be home by 10 o'clock, and it's 10.05. We're late. Now, normally, uh, we won't get into that. Anyway, normally there's other stuff going on there, but here we go. All right, buckle up. Here we go. All right, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Here was, here's how it starts. And so. Now, you have to stop right there. That's, that, that little phrase right there is almost like a uh, therefore. So uh, what's he talking about? We'll go back one verse. Paul has heard about their faith. He's heard about their love for one another. He's heard about how they've radically been changed with the gospel. Paul knows this as his own testimony. So he says, listen, I, I know exactly what has happened for you. I know exactly what, because I, it's the same thing has happened for me. I was headed this direction. I was destroying and terrorizing the church. And now all of a sudden, God stopped me in my tracks, turned me around. That's repentance. God stopped me in my tracks, turned me around, and now I'm running 100 miles an hour the other direction. I'm in, pray, in, chis, in chains and prison. That's what happens when you put those two words together. Uh, I'm in chains and I'm in prison for this gospel that I was trying to stamp out. But, but I know how radically changed my life has been. And so because of that, because you're, going, you're experiencing the same thing in your church, here's what I'm doing. From the day I heard about it, I've not ceased to pray for you. So one of the first things I want us to see, we're, I apologize, we're going to, you know, sometimes you can get a three-point sermon and they rhyme or they start with the same letter and all that other stuff. That ain't happening today, just so you know. We got seven things. So if you're taking notes, we're, you're going to jot down seven things at least, okay? First thing is this, deeper prayers are persistent. They're just persistent. We have to be persistent in prayer. Some of you know exactly what Paul is talking about. You haven't ceased praying since the day you found out you were going to have a child or you were going to have a grandchild. You haven't ceased praying since your child started driving. My son started driving in December. There, we've seen more miracles in our family in the last three months but in the, on the road. And, and our prayer life has gone deeper than it ever has been. Lord, please don't let us hit the car that he clearly can't see six feet in front of him. You know how that is, right? But see, Paul here is reiterating there's consistency with what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says it this way. Seek and you'll find. Ask and it'll be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. Do you know if you've done any kind of study on that at all, what are those words? Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep persistent. Go at... We are a culture that gives up so easily. So it does not. We're a culture that does not like suffering. When's the last time you had a headache and just said, you know what, I'll just deal with it. I'll just go through the day with my headache. Usually a headache starts and what do we start reaching for? Something to cure it. We do not like to go through difficult things. And yet there is a persistence in prayer that you and I need desperately. And see, here's what I think sometimes. We don't get the answer that we want, and we don't get a quick answer, not because God's not ready to give it. In fact, the Bible teaches us over and over again that before we even started to notice there was a need, God has already sent provision on the way. That's God's pattern of provision. It's already on its way. The, the, the problem sometimes is that we're not ready. 
And so Paul says, I'm consistent. I never cease. Philippians, pray continuously. Keep praying. Persist in something. Some of you have been praying for something, and you just got to a point where you said, you know what? Now, let me back up. Let me put a little safety net around this. There's times where God says no, and you and I need to quit praying for it. Can we just be honest with that? Lord, I know you said no before, and the answer was very clearly no, but I'd still like to have X, Y, Z. I'd still like to do I'd still whatever it is. And God's looking up there like a heavenly father going, I said no the first time. I said no the second time. I said no the third time. The answer is, and there's times where you and I need to say, Lord, I trust you. Your answer is no. But folks, when we pray according to his will, the answer is always yes. When we pray according to his will, his answer is always yes. How do we know that we're praying according to his will? Well, that's the, uh, the next part of that verse says this. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Persist in praying for that. Persist in praying for all knowledge and wisdom and understanding in his will. Now that word filled there, you're going to see it six times in Colossians. It's a powerful word in Colossians. It's filled. It carries with it the idea of what they would do with ships that were in the port. The ship, when it was filled to the brim with cargo, it was ready to set sail. That's the picture. Paul says, listen, I want you to be so filled with God's wisdom and his understanding and the knowledge of his will. I want you to be so filled with that that you are ready to set sail. How do we get filled with God's wisdom and his knowledge? We dig into his word. We live in his word. We live day in and day out in his word. And here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that a whole lot of us are satisfied with knowing half of God's will. We're satisfied with knowing God wants everybody to be saved. Amen. Hallelujah. That's all I need to know. And we live our lives kind of that way. God, I know you got this plan out there for everybody to get saved. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Amen. And we're out the door. That, that is God's will. That is God's plan. And we ought to be praying that more folks come to know Christ. Absolutely. Paul says, I want you to be so filled to the brim with the knowledge of God's will that you are ready to set sail and what? Go off on your own? No. Set sail with the crew and the cargo, which is the gospel, and go on the journey that God's got in front of you. Now, this is what I love. David wrote it this way. Your word is a lamp to my feet. What's the lamp show you? The next step. What do we want? We want the high beams, the LED high beams. Some of these trucks that now have it right in the middle that you're going down the road going, I'm not a deer. I don't need to be blinded by this thing that you're, you know. That's what we want, though. We want to see the entire picture. And I'm just telling you right now. We couldn't handle the entire picture. That's why God doesn't give it to us. We're not ready for it. And, and see, there's a lot of times where we think, yeah, we, we don't get the entire picture of how we're going to suffer. Maybe. 
But church, we also don't get the entire picture of the glorious thing that God wants to do in our lives because we couldn't handle it. We'd be, God, you're going to do what? You're going to do what? How? We, at the moment, are not even going to be able to handle it. I think that's part of what eternity is going to be. Part of eternity is going to be all the ways that we walk this path and God shows us all the different ways his will saved us from the different things that we would have stepped right into if we hadn't been following him. So the second, the second thing is this. Walk in a manner worthy. Have a worthy and fruitful walk. So here we go, verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He wants us to walk with a fruitful, worthy walk. You have to understand that 90 plus percent of the people that Paul is talking to, they were a walking culture. It was good to be in the sandal business. That's, that they just walked. If you could afford a mule, if you could afford a horse, something like that, you were in the upper echelon of society. Carts and all that sort of stuff were in use, but for the most part, people walked. And as they walked, what did they do? They talked. They talked to their family members that were traveling with them. They talked to traveling companions. They would literally, on the road, see somebody walking, ask them to join them, and they'd walk together. They'd go into a town or a village. They'd have a reason to be there. It would be to conduct business. It would be to um, visit family or relatives. They'd just be passing through. When you got to those innkeepers and those different places to stay, there would be that kind of chit-chat that goes on. Hey, what, what have you heard going on in the world? What's new? What's happening in your town where you're from? What's the, and in that time, as Adam said last week, in that time, the latest and greatest philosophy, what's, what's being taught out there? What do you believe where you come from? How do you practice these things? And Paul says, listen, as you are walking through this world, live in a manner worthy of Christ. Don't go to the same places that all the other businessmen go. Don't engage in all the conversation that's just basically gossip and all that other stuff. Instead, when you go on a business trip, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. When you are hanging out with your friends, live and talk and let your walk match the gospel of Jesus Christ. This changed life that are in that you've experienced, let it just flow out of everything that you do. Do you know people are desperate right now for somebody whose talk matches their walk? It, it's a weird kind of two-edged sword that we live in right now in our culture. We're lied to constantly. You realize that Instagram's not real. You realize that no ad is real. We're, we're constantly... I'm not going to touch politics. I, we've got, we don't have time for it. You realize we are just absolutely inundated with deceit. People are desperate for someone who will be honest with them, who will just share truth with them. Say, listen, I don't know about what's being taught over there. I don't know what you believe. I don't know about anything else you've experienced, but here's the truth of the gospel. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. So a worthy, a fruitful walk. Hey, I'm, a, I'm walking through, and it's been a difficult time. I'm going to visit a relative that's sick. I'm, I'm dealing with an illness myself, financially struggling. Whatever it is, I'm going to walk in such a manner. I'm going to live out the fruit of the Spirit even in those times. 
I'm demonstrating on a business trip when I'm all by myself, I'd still demonstrate to other people the love of God, how much I love my spouse and respect her. And, and I'm not going to do anything to damage that relationship. I'm going to walk through a difficult time and walk through it with joy. We're going to see more about that in just a second. All of those fruits of the Spirit, as you go through, walking through with a worthy and a fruitful walk. Okay, verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Deeper prayers ask for strength. Now, I wish that one of the prayers that God said on a, uh, that we were going, that was in his will, that was going to be answered on a regular basis was, God, if you could give me the physical physique that I would like. If you could just cause pounds to drop off like that, that'd be awesome. And he's obviously not talking about physical strength. When do we need to pray for his strength? When we're at the end of our own. And here's what we figured out, and, and Adam mentioned it a few minutes ago. When also we realize how many things are outside of our control. Have you ever just sat down and made a list of things that are within your control? <laughs> Let me just tell you right now, get a post-it note. That's about how much room you're going to need. That's how, about how much that we control. And, and I'm just telling you right now, it's all self-discipline. I, I have control over some of me. I don't even control everything about me. You realize that? That's, that's remarkable. And God says to you and me, when you realize that you come to the end of your strength, I've got more than enough for the both of us. In fact, I've got enough to, uh, for every person on the planet. In, in fact, I've got enough to not only start the world with just the word that I speak, I've got enough to sustain the world. And, and I've got enough for you. He was enough for Daniel in the lion's den. His strength was enough for every person in the New Testament that suffered for their faith. His strength is enough. And you and I get to the place. You ever had one of those days where at work maybe where you're just mentally driving home going, I cannot think another thought. <laughs> I just, I, my brain power is done. It, one of those days mentally where your brain is so tired that your body's exhausted. You ever had one of those days? And then you walk in the door and the four-year-old has a hundred questions. And you're like, Lord, if I ever needed strength. And God says, my power is perfected in your weakness. Your kid doesn't even really care about the answers to those questions, do they? What do they want? They just want time with you. How much strength does it have, does it take for you to spend some time? It takes his strength, his love. Okay, we gotta we gotta go. I know we're looking at I'm looking, we gotta go. All right. We need his wisdom, we need his strength. And then his strength is so strong that it, it produces in us there at the end of verse eleven endurance and patience. With joy. How many of us connect endurance and patience with joy? Do you know that's one of those things that every time I read through this passage, I just go, Paul, thank you for being in incredibly 
intelligent, but there are times where I just go, I don't think you really understand life. Because how often does endurance and patience, I think of endurance and patience as a marathon runner. My wife will testify, my wife came this morning, this is my wife Barbie sitting over here, she's awesome, I married up and out of my league, Um, but she will testify to you, I do not like running, unless I'm carrying a ball or being chased by something. Those are two times you'll see me running, okay? I don't like, but, but I think of endurance and I think of patience as a marathon runner. And those people are amazing to me. Paul knew about running, knew about the marathon. He uses it as an example later on in another letter. But he tacks on this little two words at the end. Endurance, patience, with joy. Paul, I don't, I don't want to go through something hard with joy. I want to go through something difficult and have my pity party, feel sorry, and not only feel sorry for myself, but have other people feel sorry for me. That's what, that's what feels good. Yeah, you're going through something really difficult. I can't believe you're going through something. That's what I want. And Paul says, that's, that's what the world would tell you is supposed to happen. You're supposed to post about it on Facebook, all, you know, all the different things that you're going through so that other people, oh, love you, so they'll make you feel... And Paul says, you're supposed to endure and have patience and do both of those things with joy. When's the last time you and I went through something really difficult? And at the beginning and in the middle and at the end, said, God, thank you for putting me through that. We're really good a year later. We're really good six months, ten years. We're really good looking back going, if I hadn't been through that, I wouldn't be where I am today. We're really good at that a lot of times. What about at the very beginning? In the doctor's office. Well, I don't know what God's going to do through this, but I'm going to... See, this is where I think that Paul's idea of joy is different than ours. We sometimes equate joy with happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is fulfillment and and joy despite or amidst or through the circumstances. And see, I think for most of us, joy needs to be a choice. That's a message for a whole other time. But I can just tell you right now, if you're not sure of what I'm saying about that, read Philippians. Paul's in one of the most difficult places you can possibly be. And if you read the letter to the Philippian church, it is about the joy of the Lord. So read that another time. Here we go. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance inheritance of the saints in light. In our deeper prayers, we need to think about and focus on and really take appreciation for our inheritance. I honestly connect this verse to worship every time. What's part of worship? Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you, God, for how you've provided. Thank you. I'm giving thanks. And so what is he saying? We've qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God, thank you that I no longer walk in darkness. I have this inheritance. Have you ever known somebody who didn't live out of what they had? Who just, you would think that they were a pauper. They didn't have anything. 
Let me, let me make it a little more real for church people. You ever met a sour saint? You ever met somebody who came to church and you thought maybe their breakfast that morning was just sucking on lemons? That they just walk into church service every time and it's just like, that is the grouchiest person I know. I mean, they just, it seems like nothing is right. And Paul says, if you're going to know God's will and understand it on a deeper level, then you have to live out of the conviction of the inheritance you've been given in Christ. Heaven for us is one of those things, honestly, 25 years ago, I just didn't think about all that much. Next year, um, I'll turn 50. I know, I don't look it. I look like I'm 25 still. But uh, next year, I'll turn 50. Honestly, right now, I still don't think about heaven that much. Ask somebody who's in their 80s. Ask somebody who's in their 90s. My grandmother, God bless her, got to live to 101. Ask them about what the inheritance in Christ and walking in the light really means to them. Because if you and I really knew if we really spent time with the Father talking about, God, give me a glimpse of your glory. Give me a glimpse of what heaven. God, I got this idea of pearly gates and, and streets paved with gold. All of those things are just kind of like, and, and I don't really understand what any of that's like. But, Lord, here's what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. My inheritance because of Christ includes sharing with you eternally. Give me a deeper sense of what that is. When you and I pray things like that, it goes so much deeper. Sixth thing is this. Look at verse 13. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. Deeper prayers ask for deliverance. And this is where I say sometimes we go for surface prayers. God, you know, so-and-so needs a new job. God, so-and-so needs new friends. They need a new group of people around them because they're around some bad influences. God, um, you know, so-and-so has got this situation that they're dealing with, all that other stuff. Folks, when you and I can get to a place in our prayer life where we instead will say, Father, this person needs deliverance. This person is in bondage to addiction. This person is in bondage to Gossip, this, this person's in bondage to greed and money and career. And this person is in bondage to, it, folks, we are in a spiritual battle every moment of every day of our lives. And there are times where, yes, obviously, gotta, if you'll provide a new career, if you'll provide some new friends, all, yes, absolutely. But sometimes we've got to get on our knees. And Jesus said this to his disciples when they came to him and they said, listen, we tried to cast out some demons and we were having trouble. They, they, they weren't responding. Jesus said, there are some that only come out by prayer and fasting. There are times maybe where you've been persistent in praying for somebody to have something change in their life, maybe yourself. And God's got you to a place now today for the first time where maybe you're hearing, you know what, instead of praying for this over here, I need to start praying for deliverance. This is not just a material thing or a physical thing. This is spiritual. And there are spiritual forces at work here that maybe you don't understand totally. I, I, don't, I don't have a full grasp on the spiritual battle around me on a regular basis, but God does. God sees it in a way that I don't. So, God, you, you've got to deliver me from this. You've got to deliver this person from this. Can I just tell you, we, we've got a nation that's under bondage. Father, we need our nation delivered from this. 
You know, one of the most powerful things that's happening in our nation right now is in young people. We're seeing two things happen at the same time. We're seeing not only at Asbury, if you've heard anything about that uh, revival that's happening there, there's several college campuses that similar things are happening. Where, where young people are going into a chapel and the service is not ending. Literally days of just worship and prayer and people confessing sins and, and people getting saved and just repent. It's just been an amazing thing. It's happening in camps all over the place. Uh, youth camps and retreats, people are getting saved. It's, it's, a, it's a real awakening. So that's the first thing that's happening. The second thing that's happening is this. Out of COVID, the suicide rate among young people has never been higher. The suicide rate among veterans never been higher. 22 veterans a day take their own lives. That's the average nationally. We've got a nation that needs the church asking God to deliver us from evil. Amen? Amen. Gosh. Last thing is this. Brings us redemption. Look at the end of verse 13. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This is the culmination of that prayer, that God would use his son. Now, the next part of this chapter is one of the most glorious pictures of who Christ is that has ever been written. It should never try to be rewritten. It is unbelievable. And there are people that have studied their entire lives to try to mine the depths of Colossians 15 and following, and they'd never get to the end of it because that's who Christ is. And you and I have been redeemed by this Christ. You know, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. It's the, just the Greek translation for Messiah. He is our Savior. He did what you and I could not do. We owed what we could not pay. We can't be good enough. We can't be wealthy enough. We can't have enough friends or family. We can't do anything on our own. And he instead redeemed us. Um, I love the story of the little boy that built a wooden ship. A and he built it and took it out to the river and put it in to see if it would float. Sure enough, it floated, but it floated too fast, and it just floated right away. And he was just tearful. He just couldn't believe he lost his ship. And so he um, just went home, uh, and a couple days later, he's in his little town, and there on the main street in the store window is his ship. Somebody had found it, gave it to this store, and now they're trying to sell it. And he walks in, and he asks, how much is it? And the guy says, it's, it's a really well-made little ship. It's $100. And the kid goes, I got five bucks. Uh, and the guy goes, I'm sorry, I can't sell it to you. He goes, but that's, that's mine. And, he said, and the shop owner says, sorry, not willing to give it up for less than that. And he goes home, and he tells his dad. His dad goes down to the store, lays down 100 bucks. The kid walks out. That's the idea of redemption. You and I... We can't afford it. It's too much. Our sin costs life. Jesus laid down his life on our behalf to purchase us back for himself. We can't do it. He had to do it for us. And he transfers us from this world being our home to his kingdom being our home. That's what Jesus meant the whole time he was talking about the kingdom of God, the entire time he was on this earth preaching. This is what it means to be in the kingdom of God. So we leave the darkness of this world and we walk 
into the kingdom of light he's prepared. So imagine for just a minute, if you will, if you look, just scan back over your notes real quickly, those of you that are taking notes. Imagine for just a moment if you and I, let's, let's be generous. Let's say once a month, you and I took the time to pray these seven things for ourselves. Just, just yourself. Just, we'll, I'll just assume that we're all selfish. That you took the time to pray these seven things for yourself on a deeper level. What would your life look like? How would you be different? Now imagine then if you for just a moment said, okay, once a month I'm going to pray these seven things for me. But then the next week I'm going to pray these seven things for my family. What could God do in your family if you took these seven things and deeply sought his face for these seven things? And then let's just say that God moves you in such a way that you say, you know what? Uh, this third week, I- I'm going to pray these things for my pastor, uh, for Adam. I- I'm going to pray these seven things for him and Emily. I'm going to pray them for their family. I'm going I'm to pray God's uh, endurance, his strength. I'm going to persistently seek the throne, boldly approach the throne of grace, find help in time of need. I'm going to do that on behalf of Adam and his family. And and then, you know, extend it out. There's four weeks in a month usually. What what if we started praying this for our church family? What are some things that you could maybe start seeing God do? If we took these things so deeply to heart, you're going to discover what started happening in the church at Colossae. God started to do some things in that church. Now, let me, let me add this again as a little safety net. Please don't, like, this is not like a magic incantation, repeat these phrases and words. We're so prone to do that kind of stuff that if I just say these magic words over and over and over again, something will happen. Can I just tell you that's the difference between the mysticism that that Paul's fighting against? Uh, The idea of Eastern mysticism and meditation is to empty your mind, is to clear your mind. Uh, The idea of meditation, as we find in God's word, is to fill your mind with his word. Take a verse, take a scripture. Instead of emptying my mind and trying to find myself, I'm going to fill my mind and try to find him. That's the difference in the meditation that we're talking about here. But imagine for just a moment, coming in to this place during the week, having been prayed up on this kind of level to worship. I guarantee you, you wouldn't find sour saints. There's a song that we've been singing at our church here pretty regularly. It's called Hallelujah for the Cross. It's a beautiful song. If you've not heard, I think uh, they said you guys have done this a couple times here. But here's, and and trust me, I'm not going to sing this for you. If I did, it'd clear the room and you guys would never have me back. Um, But the first verse goes like this. I'd be hopeless without your goodness. I'd be desperate without your love. Slave to the darkness if it wasn't for the cross. You have won me with your kindness, chased me down when I was lost. Where would I be without the cross? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I was a prisoner, and now I'm not. With your blood, with your blood you bought my freedom. Hallelujah for the cross.